Hannes and Amanda are traveling on Tuesday to South Africa. Um, and um, um, I think there was something else that was standing out in my memory. And for some reason, nothing's jumping back. Uh, but obviously, um, uh, plenty of people to keep in prayer. And um, that's what a family does. Praise for one another. All right, I'm going to talk to you about some corrective surgery. Uh, how many of you have ever seen um, all of the cosmetic surgery ads that used to be up? Now, they're not so much anymore, but everybody was, you know, uh, uh, surgery to, you know, to make you look different. Uh, I don't know. They called it cosmetic surgery, but there is some corrective surgery um, when when somebody is, is has a, a deformity, uh, when they're born and they can't walk or they can't speak, and they do certain surgery that helps them out. Well, when we're born, we're born broken. And uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of religions take advantage of that and say, all right, here's the pattern for you to be a better person, and they never fix anything. So when we come to Colossians, we learn about uh, we learn about the corrective surgery that the Lord does on our heart on the inside and repairs what sin has marred. So <clears throat> uh, the theme of the book here in Colossians is basically twofold. All right, that it is the preeminence of Christ. Look at chapter one, verse seventeen. Colossians one seventeen says, "And He, Jesus, is before all things." That means. He's before anything else. He's he's more important than anything else in your life. You say, you know, I, I'm going to, uh, I mean, probably some of you used to maybe said this before you got saved. You said, I'll get a little older and then I'll think about getting saved. And you can't do that because you may not get a little older. You may die on the road in that accident that was maybe uh, uh, you weren't planning on. But he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, here's your word, he might have the preeminence. Now, the preeminence means he is everything. He's not <clears throat> He's not um, just one of many and maybe the most important of many. He's all there is. If you have any other gods along with the Lord Jesus, you have idols. And they have to be done with Jesus Christ is preeminent. But we also notice in Colossians the the uh, the theme of the sufficiency of Christ. Going to chapter 2, where we have been spending some time. Chapter 2, verse 10. It says in verse 10, And ye are... What's that next word? I heard one. How about the rest of you? And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. <clears throat> the sufficiency of Christ to make you right now complete. You don't have to wait till you get into heaven before you're complete. Because you will be. I mean, if there's any broken uh, aspects to your life, health-wise, mental-wise, um, anything, you're, you know, somebody here may be in the hospital, they may, they may be crippled, but in heaven, there's no cripples, amen? In heaven, uh, you, you, uh, uh, there's, there's no limitations. So, but honestly, a lot of people think, that that's when I will be complete. And yet the Bible says, not that you will be, but what does it say? You are. And I need you, and I need you, and I need you right now to determine I'm going to believe that. Because the Colossians, remember, there are different, there are different churches. 
There was the Corinthians, amen? There were the Ephesians. There were the Philippians. Each one of these were regions, cities, territories, and Paul was writing to the Christians that area. The Colossians were getting inundated by false teachers who were telling them, oh, no, 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 you got to work hard. you got to fix this problem in your life. you got to do this and do that in order to start on your journey to becoming a better person. No, no, no. Paul says, nope, it's a done deal. You are complete. In other words, you have arrived as far as your, your standing with God. So, <clears throat> that brings me to the purpose of Colossians. The purpose of Colossians is twofold. He wrote this, number one, to instruct believers in who they were in Christ. <clears throat> if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So, the, but, but Colossians is doctrine. Colossians is line upon line of teaching to, to, to make sure that you know the truth so that some hustler, some religious um, scumbag, I call him, but they look, sound awesome. They teach so well. They conjugate verbs perfectly. <laughs> they know what a gerund is and a noun and a, and a participle and they, they can, they can talk their way into politics. They are amazing and they're liars. And, and as anybody knows, uh, if you ever worked for the bank, the way that you tell people how to know counterfeits is not that you study counterfeits. It's by knowing the real thing. You feel it. You smell a, a 50 euro note. You, 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 you test it and you find out. So then when a fake 50 euro note comes in, you go, that doesn't feel right. I know what the real thing is. This thing doesn't feel the same. And that's how you have to test, uh, um, false teachings and false teachers by knowing the truth. So that's why the first thing is to instruct with what we are in Christ. Secondly, to warn believers to beware of religious hustlers who were intent on bringing them into the bondage of failed fleshly efforts. How many feel like a failure most of the time? Honestly, spiritually, physically, emotionally, you just feel like I fail, I fail, I fail. All right. Wouldn't it be wickedly wrong for religion to say, Let me get you more into the fleshly efforts when all your flesh has ever done has gotten you to fail. And yet that's what most religions are. They focus on what you have to do. All right. Now there are things to do, but we're talking about that after salvation, not before. So these are, now when you get to chapter three, it is absolutely breathtaking. It's just practical good stuff. Can't wait to get to chapter three, can we? Your favorite verse. Amen. We'll get into there. All right. So. <clears throat> Uh, by way of review, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all we need. Verse 9, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, if you only know how to pray to Jesus, guess what? That's all you need to pray. <laughs> oh, well, can I pray to God too? Yeah. I know some people say, can I pray to the Holy Spirit? Go right ahead. But honestly, Jesus is all you need. Amen. That under, uh, uh, what is um, Acts 4.12, there is... There is no other name given among men. How does it start off? Heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But there's a previous part of the verse I can't remember. But but the name of Jesus is the only name you need to walk on those streets of gold, to stand before the throne of God, to even come before God Almighty, the awesome, holy God of the universe. All you need is the name Jesus. He is all we need. 
You say, you mean, you mean, if I, if, if I, uh, uh, get sick and I'm in the hospital and I never get out to church again, am I okay? You're okay. I talked to, I've talked to loads of Catholic priests and I've asked every one of them, I've got a list of questions I learned to ask each one of them and I said, if you stop going to Mass right now, and if you didn't, if you didn't, uh, uh, cross yourself and bless yourself when you pass by a church, and if you didn't say your prayers every night, do you think you'd go to heaven? Oh no. I have to do all that. And I have to, and they just go through all those things. I says, then you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus is the only door into heaven, not all those other things that you trust in. He's the fullness of all you need. Secondly, you are complete, as we already said, in Christ. Ye are complete in Him. So don't be tricked into leaving your security. Galatians 5.1. Let's go there real quick. Go back to the left, find Galatians, just a few books back. Galatians 5 and verse 1. Isn't it funny how, starting in Galatians, with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, you'll see a theme intertwined through it all, and that is a warning of false teachers who are robbing Christians of the truths that I'm trying to get you to firmly believe. Even, let me just say this. They may sound boring to you, and what I teach on a Sunday night, it may be like, and I'm looking at the crowd here, and I'm glad you're here, but honestly, people say, you know, I, I don't need the doctrine. You start believing this stuff, and you believe it, you'll be a whole lot saner and happier than if you had uh, um, 100,000 euros given you tomorrow. Happier than if you than than if you uh, got a better job or if you uh, got a new dog. I don't care what you think you need to be happy. Knowing the truth makes you free. So Galatians five one, uh, the Apostle Paul warns. Once I get there, stand fast. What does that mean? Stand firm. What else? Dig your heels in. Not high heels, but dig your heels in. If, don't be swayed from the liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the place of liberty wherewith who has made you free? It's just unbeatable. The church didn't make you free. Mary didn't make you free. Wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, don't be tricked into leaving your security. Here's the 64,000 year old question. How did God make us so free? And how do you do it without our religious efforts, without our morality, without our theology, or our good works? You know what, um, uh, Peter, you know what Peter calls Lot? Was Lot a good man? You know what he calls him? Righteous Lot. You know what made Lot righteous? Not his morality. You wouldn't want to trust your daughter with Lot. Lot wasn't righteous because of his prayer life, because of his religion. He was righteous because of a substitutionary sacrifice somewhere back there. Abraham got made righteous by faith. Lot got made righteous. He just never lived it, but he was righteous. So how can Christ do that without morality, theology, or good works? How did God make us so free in Christ? So let's review this. As I said last week, and I started this thing, I didn't get very far because it is so, I wish I could repeat this probably for a dozen Sundays because it is so important to, to have and to hold on to. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The first answer is he did it all by himself. This is where we started and we finished last week and I want to try to pick up. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says some of the most 
the sweetest, simplest words ever, who, Jesus, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, his very person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That is breathtaking. I love how powerfully that is said. Uh, Jesus doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our goodness. He doesn't need our effort. He doesn't need our successes. He doesn't need his mother. He doesn't need his church to help you. He didn't need, he doesn't need some priest to do it. He did it all. You know what? He's not put off by your failures. Amen. He purged your sins not because you were good at keeping away from sin. He purged your sins and he knew that you were going to go and fall back into them same time later on. He did everything necessary as the great high priest, sacrificing himself in the place of the sinful people. Here's Jesus. He not only is the sacrifice, he's the sacrificer. He said, no man takes my life from me. What does he say? I lay it down freely of my own self. Doing my father's will, but as the high priest who brought the lamb, he not only was the high priest, he was the lamb. It's cool. He did it all as only Jesus Christ could. So he's not put off by our failures. He just did everything necessary. I mean, it's just awesome. Can you imagine? I remember getting a bike for Christmas one year. And I remember that was the year that I snuck into our family room where the Christmas tree was, the Christmas presents, and we weren't allowed in there until after everybody had breakfast, everybody was dressed. We were tortured as children. I'm still scarred. And uh, But anyway, I snuck in there and I saw my bike. My dad had spent hours putting it together. Bought it from Ikea, maybe. I don't know. Came as a flat pack. But he had to build this bike for me when I was somewhere around seven, six or seven years old. And there was my bike. And I remember, um, uh, uh, note, and I got on it. And then I noticed my dad there on the couch. He had seen up and it was asleep on the couch. We were so in trouble, but it was so awesome. But anyway, can you imagine my dad putting the bike together and then leaving a bunch of it left for me to put together. I bought you this bike, and I put most of it together, and I'm a six-year-old, seven-year-old, and the rest that you need to do to finish it if you want to ride the bike. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ did that for us? And said, no, I died on the cross, but you know, there's some stuff you got to do. Like a six-year-old, we throw up our hands and says, give me a box. (laughs) I'll play with a box instead. He did everything, amen? I just ride the bike. All right, so quit thinking that you had anything to do with saving your soul. Now, I'm talking to the choir, amen? Not one of you is worried about that. But let me deal with something that some Christians do struggle with, and that is you have to settle that you don't do anything to stay saved either. You didn't do anything to get saved, and believe me, you don't do anything to stay saved. Hallelujah. Just just shout. (laughs) That's all you got to do. Just rejoice. Now, let's get into the meat here. There's milk of the word. Give me a verse that is, or a truth that's the milk of the word. Easy to digest. Give me something that's the milk of the word. God loves sinners. That's milk, amen? Anybody can appreciate that. Now, there's some meat subjects, amen? What were you going to say? Hallelujah, and God loves sinners. So much so that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's milk. But the meat of the word is, How did he make a sinner into a saint? And that's what we're talking about. What did he do? Well, secondly, 
He put the Holy, he, the Holy Spirit puts you in salvation himself. So going back to Colossians, going back to Colossians. Uh, let's see. Colossians chapter 2. I'm just going to read some of these things. And um, I actually, uh, I have something out of order, and I don't know why it's out of order. Just just hold on to your hat, and let me see if I can make sense of this, because I changed one thing, and I hope that I have the right one. Starting in verse, start in verse 10, and we'll just pick this thing up. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Chapter 2, verse 11 now. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by something called the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12. Now I'm going to start with verse 12. We'll go back to verse 11 because this is out of order and I apologize. But just believe me, we can get through it. Verse 12 says, Buried with him in what? Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? Amen. Do you know what? To God, every one of your sins, past, present, and future, are all past. To God, all of your sins, past, present, and future, to God, all of them are past. He forgave you all trespasses. So I'm going to pick, I'm going to start in verse 2, then we'll do verse uh, verse 12, then verse 11 to verse 13, in what uh, God did. First of all, he put you in salvation himself. Look there in verse, thir- verse 12, he says, buried with him in baptism. All right, now, <clears throat> this is meat, like I said. I'm going to say it this way. He, he put us in him and not in sin anymore. <clears throat> he put us in him and not in sin. Uh, Colossians 3 and verse 3. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For ye are dead and your life is hid with who? All right. So I've been hid. I hope this comes out. I hope I did this right. I have been put in Christ. Oh, you know what I did? I know what I did. Okay. I have been, and we looked at these verses last week. I've been in Christ. Uh, as we already, uh, uh, look at any man be in Christ. Um, I'm not in sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Go back to the left, find Ephesians chapter 2. I actually know now what I did wrong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when the Bible uses the word quickened, what's, what's our normal word that we would understand? Made alive. Quickened. Um, so, Verse 2 says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So how many of you have been dead? <laughs> well, I have, I have I have never been dead. I know people who died on the operating table and then they got them back up. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a, a, a death that we were in and we were made alive. We were resurrected. And the Bible says um, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were in sin and we were dead in it. Verse 2, wherein in time past, you walked, you lived according to the course of this world. You did everything everybody else did. According to who? The prince of the power of the air. The spirit, the demonic spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, living in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, 
even as others. The best two words in the Bible are the next two words, but God, amen? In spite of my sin, in spite of my death, God came along and he saved. So, <clears throat> how'd he do it? He took us and we put he put us no longer in sin, but in Christ. So, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit did something wonderful when he, he, he puts us in a secure and a safe and complete um, uh, place. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Romans chapter 7, in verse 24. O wretched man that I was. Is that what it says? I know some people who believe in something called sinless perfection. That means they believe that once they got saved, they stopped sinning. Well, that is not true. Um, what does Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I... And he's saved 20 years at least, if not more, at the time he's writing Romans chapter um, 12... Um, sorry, Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall... Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I'm, I'm stuck in a body that's just death. And then he finishes and he answers verse 25. I thank God through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I mentally, I serve the law of God, but my flesh will always serve the law of what? It'll always serve. My flesh will always, always reap the repercussions of my sin that it loves to do. So, um, uh, let's go to verse 11. Let's go back to Colossians. And I'll show you this surgery I talked to you about at the beginning where I said it's called corrective surgery. <clears throat> now, I couldn't be a, I couldn't be a surgeon. My mom said I'd make a great surgeon for only one reason. My handwriting. <laughs> my, my, that's why I, I print and I print in capital letters because my handwriting as a, uh, child was dreadful and my mom said, you make a great doctor. But, uh, if that's all, <laughs> can you imagine? I saw a comic strip one time, had all these doctors and they're all outside of a, uh, um, uh, some sort of a building or whatever and they got these signs and everybody's passing by saying, oh, it must be doctors who are on strike because nobody can read the signs. It's in, anyway, the point is, <clears throat> corrective surgery. There are some things I, I can't do it. I, I used to run, uh, run, I used to ride late night, uh, Friday nights. I would go and spend all night with a guy who was an emergency medical technician. And I was a photographer. And not that I wanted to take pictures of gory things, but I, I took pictures of the car accidents and the fire, house fires and things. And I was trying to learn how to, how to just get the, get the view uh, of disasters. So, but we would ride at night and then we'd get to a car accident or whatever and somebody was not breathing. And this guy, he was only two or three years older than I. He was able, and I don't mean to gross you out, but he was able to put a tracheotomy into their, their throat to get them breathing again. Now I'm over wanting to heave and throw up over on the other side. I couldn't do that. But thank God for people who can do corrective surgery, who can jump in and fix what is killing somebody. All right, and that's what God did. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's read it again. In whom also ye are, and this is a surgical thing, you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hand. You ought to underline those words. 
in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the... Hey, you ever see that word? I'm going in for an operation tomorrow. There's your 21st century word in your um, uh, 17th century Bible. Through the operation of God. All right, so... We are tripart beings. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. To the right. 1 Thessalonians. Just a few pages to the right. <clears throat> We're tripart beings. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now, sounds like H-O-L-Y, but it's W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means what? Completely, all right? So the God of peace, may he sanctify you, which means clean you up, make you usable completely. And I pray God your, look at the three parts, your whole spirit, let me get down here, your whole soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, you're a tripart being. Now the most important part of you is your soul. That's you. Your soul is, is, is what's underneath this flesh. Your flesh, your body is basically just a space suit you live in while you're on this earth. One of these days you're going to drop it and you'll get a new suit and it's called a new body like Christ that never dies. But, uh, the most important part of you is your soul. <clears throat> That's where your emotions are. Uh, go to <clears throat> Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. That's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, chapter 18, in verse 4. Ezekiel 18, 4 says this, Behold, you find that? Ezekiel 18, 4. Yeah. <clears throat> That's why you come to Church on a Sunday night, you find passages in the Bible you never knew were there. <laughs> Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, God says all souls, see that word, are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall what? I now notice there, uh, go to Matthew chapter 16. The soul that sinneth, your soul is what gets you damned. Soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, Matthew 16, 26. <clears throat> For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own? You know what most people worry about? Losing their job, losing their good looks, uh, losing their health, um, losing their house, all physical things, all outward things, things that will burn up. Things that die. And Jesus says, what's it going to profit you if you lose your own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What could, you, what could you give that would be of equal value to your soul? Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Fear not them which able to, which kill the, what's the first word? 
What's the word? 1028. Fear not them which kill the body. Now, I'm, I'm afraid of anybody who points a gun at me or is out to kill me. I understand that. But you know, in the big scheme of things, don't fear them. Don't fear anybody who can kill the body and yet are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So the most important part of you is your soul. Now the part, now, uh, in this, in this scheme of things, the real you, and I draw it different ways, different times, and it's, it's impossible to draw what God describes, okay? But I just try to give you an understanding that your body was given to you so your soul can live in this world. And, uh, whatever, whatever I want, I get my body to do for me. Alright? I'm tired, so I say, body, let's go to bed. I'm hungry. Body, let's go get something to eat. There's just, uh, I'm bored, call somebody. Um, there's, I get my body to do my bidding. Are you with me? Now, there's a part of me that God needs me to have to talk to Him. That's my spirit. Again, how many parts are there to each one of us? Body, soul, and spirit. Now, if I want to talk to you, I use my body to talk, right? I use my, I use my charm. I use my mannerisms. Come on, say amen. I use my, um, uh, body language to communicate with you. All right. Well, that's physical in this world, trying to talk to this world, relate to this world. Well, how do I relate to God? Through my spirit. So, well, do I have to pray towards Jerusalem? No. Do I have to hold my hands up like this? No. There's some basic principles. Close your eyes so that you're not distracted. But closing your eyes doesn't make you more spiritual. Are you with me? By In the old days, people were... I'm talking about 500 years ago when Martin Luther finally got free of the bondage of Catholicism. He used to go before he would go to sleep on a slab. He didn't even have a blanket under him or over him. Before he would lay down, he took a small... Um, it was a small whip that had... Um, uh, fibers on the end, and he would take that and he would give himself three or four lashes to start it to bleed. It wasn't awful, but every night he would lash his back and bring intense pain and then would lie down thinking, there, God, there, maybe now if I died, you'd let me in because I'm punishing myself for my sin. He thought that he could do something to his flesh to atone for his sin so that he could go to heaven, so that he could talk to God. And listen, he, he was he was made free by finding out Christ took the punishment. Let me just stop there and just realize his there was something between him and God that, that wasn't working. And guess what it was? It was his spirit. Now I'm not sure where my picture is. Give me there we are. <clears throat> the reason why a lot of people they come to church and they leave. The reason why they read the Bible and they get bored and they close it up and never read it again. The reason why a lot of people go to church and they just basically go through the motions and crowds of people will sit in auditoriums and they will go to church and they never change, they never grow, they never worship, they never ever love God. You know why? Because something in them is dead. You can have a beautiful, you can have a beautiful iPhone 10,000 euro phone. But if the battery's dead, it is worthless. Would you agree? And you could have the most amazing religious experience and still go straight to hell. Because a part of you is dead. 
So, now, here's, here's the revelation. All right? The most important part of you is your soul, but the part that sins is your flesh. The part that gets you in trouble and is damning your soul is what you do with your body, what you do with your eyes, what you do with your mind, what you do with your feet. Feet that are swift to shed innocent blood, the Bible says. Hands that, 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 um, I forget what Romans chapter 3 gives, all the description of what I end up doing to prove I'm a sinner. So with this illustration, I want you to see your flesh is constantly damning you all your life until an operation occurs. Because what your body does affects your soul. Again, what does the Bible say? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So if I come along and I see some lady's purse and I watch somebody, there's some... Some crazy nuts out there who, uh, uh, video, um, uh, here's a woman and she's got a purse. And so she sets the purse down on the, on the park bench or maybe on a bench on the road, uh, by the side of the road or whatever. And she says, Oh, I left something in the store. And she gets up and she goes back in and there's this guy next to her and he looks and he sees her go away and he grabs the purse and he runs off. He thinks he's got somebody's purse and he opens it up poof, and this paint goes all over him. Just as, as just dessert. It's hilarious. But that, but stealing with your flesh is what made him a thief and damns his soul. So you gotta do something with the flesh if you're ever gonna make somebody able to go into heaven. Amen? Oh, so <clears throat> back there in Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, <clears throat> what did he do? Again, the majority of the false teachers in the day, in the beginning there were Jewish false teachers who said you must be circumcised. You've got to become Jews in order to become saved. And Paul says you already are. I may not look like much, but I is a Jew. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the what? All right. So what the Holy Spirit does in life of the believer, number one, he regenerates your spirit. Hallelujah. He fixes that part of you that was dead since you were conceived. From the moment that you were conceived, your spirit was dead, dead, dead. It's like buying a new phone and the battery's never been charged. You're, you're no good. You're never going to be good until your spirit has been regenerated, which is a Bible word. Titus chapter three now. Hold your place here in Colossians. Go to the right, find Titus chapter three in verse five. <clears throat> Look at verse four. Titus chapter three and verse four, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Isn't that a good story to start with? Amen. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, what did he do? It doesn't say he is saving us, by the way. He saved us by the washing of, here's your word, regeneration. Use your modern word, recharging <laughs> and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Where does the recharging, where does the regeneration, where does the renewing take place? In your spirit. So the truth is this, okay? 
The Holy Spirit regenerates your spirit. Secondly, he separates your flesh from your soul. It is, it is, I gave you an illustration last week and I started off this thing, but I, I had to stop. If you've ever had ice, I know we live in Ireland, nobody has ice normally. You come to my house and you say, can I have ice with this? I'd say, we don't have ice. Oh, we do? Who's making ice? Oh, <laughs> I didn't know we had ice. I'm going home and having some ice tonight. Anyway. <laughs> No, we had ice. But if ever you have an ice tray, those those ice cubes are stuck to the ice tray. Yes or no? Wait, uh, is everybody on my same planet, or am I really weird? Okay. But if you take that thing and if you if you crack it, or if you put it under water real quick, all of a sudden, what happens to the ice cube? It's separate from it. Now it's still in there until you dump it out. And in the same way, God separates. What sins from the, from the part of me that is priceless? You know, this body, God says, let it die. This body says, let it grow old. God says, this body, let anybody kill it. It doesn't matter. Don't let anybody mess with your soul. Don't let anybody ever come in there and mess with, with who you really are. Well, I can't tell if I'm a man or if I'm a woman. I'm, today I feel kind of pangender. You know where they're at? Somebody's messed with their soul, folks. Somebody's messed with them and they don't know who they are or what they are. That's why I got saved, because I know who I am. So God comes along and separates your soul, your flesh from your soul. He cut the real you loose. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now this is breathtaking. I think all the Bible is breathtaking, but this is breathtaking. Hebrews chapter 4. How does anybody get saved? Is it when pastor comes and he lays his hand on you? Is that how a person gets saved? Huh? Oh, if we take and we just put them in the baptism water and dunk them. And that would get them saved? Not at all. Not at all. Look what saves. Well, what does First Peter say? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick. Didn't you ever go to the doctor and they're going to give you a shot and you'd say, get it over quick. <laughs> well, here's the book. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged what? That's a scalpel. Here's a two-edged sword, a, a cutting instrument. And it pierces even to the divider, asunder of even the soul invisible and spirit invisible. But here's your flesh. And is able to go down into the joints and the marrow. That's physical. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That book cuts you to pieces. Lays it all out on the operating table. And then God gives you life. It is absolutely breathtaking that God... The best thing that any Christian can ever do, well, let's go back. The best thing any sinner can do is to let God cut them to pieces and just just absolutely point out all of their sin, bring them under conviction, bring them to the point where they just feel like I'm doomed. Amen. Because it's then you can cry out, Lord, save me. I don't want to I don't want to die like this. And he puts it all back together, a new man, a new woman. He cut the real you. Isn't that cool? Let me do it again. 
It took me a while to figure out how to do that. Anyway, and Christ has made us free. See, this part of me, I've been regenerated here. My soul's never been regenerated. My soul's always been alive, and it always will live. Your soul is going to live forever somewhere. Your body won't. But your soul is going to live somewhere forever and ever and ever and ever. But if your spirit's dead and all you've got is your body, you're going, damn. But if you get your spirit resurrected, God separates your, your body so that your body can die and it doesn't pull you down. Amen? All right. <clears throat> Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8, verse 32. This is how come Jesus is able to say these words. John chapter 8. <clears throat> says this, And ye shall know the truth, that's the Bible, and the truth shall make you free. Now that's milk. The meat is how did he do it? Look at verse 36. If the Son, the Son of God therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now lest you misunderstand, well go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, because we're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans here. I never know how far we're going to get in these things, so kind of have just to humor me. If only I could get um, Dean, to laugh at my jokes, we'd be out of here a whole lot faster. <clears throat> um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. <clears throat> I didn't like these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There shall be no condemnation. Is that what it says? There is now <laughs> no condemnation to them which are where? In Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit now. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free free from the law of sin and death. Where does the law of sin and death operate? Where does God's... Like we have the laws of physics that control everything. Where about the law of sin and death? Where does it operate? It operates here. All of the Old Testament commandments, not all, but most of them, were about trying to keep this body from eating wrong things, from doing wrong things from from uh, uh, taking wrong things, from saying wrong things. It was all about trying to control the body, wasn't it? Well, <clears throat> verse, verse 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free now from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the what? You can, can anybody fix the flesh? You know what God says? Let it die. Let it die. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin where? In the very flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk no longer after the flesh. But who are we following? Before I was saved, I followed this thing. If my belly was grumbling, I just gave in. Amen? If I was lonely, my eyes, I followed my eyes. I, I, I watched what everybody else was watching. I listened to what everybody else was listening. I was following the flesh. Now who do I follow? Who do I walk after? My spirit. My spirit has a craving for God, and I go with it. Amen? And that is the, that's the testimony of a Christian. Yes, I, my flesh still wants to go that way, but my spirit wants to go this way. And I don't get along. The two of them are like like pulling in two directions. And Christ has made us truly free. 
Go back to chapter 7. You say, oh, I don't know if I believe you, Pastor. I know how it is. Look at chapter 7, verse 18. Chapter Romans. I don't know if I said it right. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. All right, go there to verse, uh, verse 15. Verse 14. For we know that the law is what? Now, the reason why it's spiritual is because it came from God. But it says this, the law is spiritual, but I am, and that's a word for fleshly. When we say, you know, carnivorous, it's a meat eater. Hopefully it's cooked meat, right, Rodell? <clears throat> that's an inside joke. Don't, don't go there. Anyway, but I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. I'm in bondage to sin there in my flesh. For that which I do, oh, I allow not. I won't let anybody else do it. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not. Now notice, there are two eyes in there. There's two of them. The only valid schizophrenic is a Christian. Okay? I'm arguing with myself all the time. <laughs> If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good and necessary. I need it. Verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth where? For I know that in me that is where? Next words. In my body, in my flesh, in my in the chemicals, in the hormones, in the normal habits, in the thinking, in the normal natural things I do without thinking. That is in my flesh dwelleth how many good things? Ain't nothing good there. You say, certainly I do some good things. As far as you and I can, I see you do good things. Sure, I think you're a good person. But the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. As long as you're in that flesh and not in Christ, there's nothing good in you. Uh, uh, for to will, that's my soul, is present with me. But how to perform with my body, that which is good, I find not. Uh, that's why he says in verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, look at verse 5, chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, how many of you are in the flesh tonight? Let me see your hands. <laughs> I asked that question. I love that question. We're all in the flesh, but we are not stuck to it anymore. But he says this, he says, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, I love that phrase, all of the things that I did, the motions of sins, which were by the law, meaning they were controlled by the law, they did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto what? They were damning us. All I, no matter, even if I went to church every day, and I genuflect, and I gave, and I prayed, all of the motions of my flesh we're bringing forth the fruit unto death, no matter how good I try to be. This is this is what Paul is trying to 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 scare us into thinking that am I in 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 the flesh still or am I in Christ? Go to chapter eight and verse eight. <clears throat> Eric, read eight eight and nine. All right, here's some questions, Eric. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in. Where did he move in? To my big toe? Hmm. He didn't move into my flesh. 
That's my point. He moved into my spirit. He regenerated his my spirit. He moved into my spirit and then sealed himself in. So, in this thing he says, if I am still in the flesh, if my flesh, if my soul is still stuck in this body, when my body dies, I die and I go to hell. But I'm no longer in the flesh anymore. Doesn't it say that? Where am I? I'm in the spirit now. Now, I don't sometimes seem like it. Sometimes the flesh is dominating me. But I'm not stuck to it. I have been circumcised from it. I've been separated from its influence. Does my flesh still sin? Yes or no? Do these eyes still go and see things that it shouldn't? Imagine in this day and age how much sin we bring upon ourselves just visually. Do these hands, do these words, do words come out of my mouth that to bring so destruction? Yeah, I'm saved as, as, as anybody is. But the point is this. It doesn't affect my soul anymore. Come on, nod your head. Think about this. It doesn't damn me anymore. I may be so discouraged at how my flesh has the upper hand, how my flesh is struggling with some sin or some habit or whatever. But let me tell you, when you get born again, that flesh has been cut off and is going to die. And no matter how much the motions of sin operate there, you're going to heaven. Amen? That is eternal security. That is the goodness of the work of God. Because in Paul's day, and to this very day, the religious teachers were coming along saying, oh, you might lose it. Of course I might lose it. If I'm still trying to keep this body under control, where's my finger here? If I'm still trying to do and keep this body from sinning so that I don't go to hell, guess what? I'm going to go to hell. (laughs) Because I'm going to sin. Amen? He regenerates your spirit. He separates your flesh from your soul. He cuts the real you loose. And he makes you totally free. Your flesh and his actions no longer affect your holiness to the Lord. Wow. <laughs> it's breathtaking. You know, in the Old Testament, I can only talk very briefly. I wish we had two hours. When Aaron, the high priest, now was Aaron a, a, a very godly man? No. No. But when he put on those priestly garments, he put on a mitre, a hat. You know what it said on there? Holiness to the Lord. His new suit of clothes made him holy. He couldn't touch a dead body. He couldn't. There were so many things that 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 he was holy. Listen, when you got Christ and you put on his righteousness, you are holy. Now, you may not look like it. You may not act like it. You may not sound like it. But when God sees Kathy, he sees a saint. Amen. And no matter what Kathy says, does, takes, don't take anything, um, uh, doesn't do or whatever, can never affect her soul. Amen? Let me make another statement here. Your, your, your spirit can become defiled. Your flesh can become defiled. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, but not of your soul. I will always work on what I allow into my spirit where the Holy Spirit dwells. You know, God has to put up with what you see. God has to, the Holy Spirit has to endure what you think about. 
And you need to realize I need to clean house sometimes upstairs here. But I also have to clean house and have clean hands too. I need to make things right with somebody I stole from. I need to make things right with somebody I said something wrong to. Cleanse. But it says nothing about cleansing my soul. Who took charge of cleansing our soul? Jesus Christ. Now, your flesh can experience the wages of sin. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. You want to go to, you want to go to heaven early? Just go right on. Keep sinning in the flesh. Just keep ignoring, uh, walking in the spirit. Just walk in the flesh all day long and you'll go to heaven real quick. Cause you will reap still for what you do in the flesh, but it will not separate you from the love of God. Amen. Your spirit can become wounded and powerless. Somebody can offend your spirit, can cut your spirit. Amen. I know that. I know that. But it cannot separate you from the love of God that was paid for your soul. Which part of you is the most important? Your soul. The real you. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. we got to stop. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. <clears throat> now, in the Old Testament, when, when God wanted to introduce this subject in this concept to them, they already understood circumcision, but it was just an outward act. It was just a ceremony, a tradition, a religious duty. And Moses, well, God, through Moses, wanted to say, no, 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 no. That's just a picture of what I really want to happen to you. And it describes what happens to us. In the New Testament, he says, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Amen. I mean, try to love God with your flesh. It's not going to work. It's going to die. But with my soul, all right, to circumcise is to cut off what is damning you. What has made you separated so that the body of sins, the motions of sins, it will do its own thing sometimes. But you're secure. You are secure. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 2, and I'll make the connection and we're done. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. <clears throat> Verse 28 says this, Romans chapter 2, verse 28. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the what? All right, verse 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the, in the, and not in the letter. Meaning that get the principle, not Oh, I need to go get circumcised. No. The spirit behind the words were that my heart needed to be circumcised. I need to be separate from my flesh so that my flesh goes up and down, but my soul is saved. Whose praise is not of men because they circumcised you or they, they prayed over you or whatever, but our praise is of God. All right. So I got to quit. I am more, but I ain't going to do it. Uh, any questions? <clears throat> any questions? Brother Eric.
location-wise, geographically, you're correct. But he actually dwells in my spirit. I am three parts. So the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with my body other than trying to get me to use my body for good. I yield the members of my flesh to righteousness now. I try to get them to do right, knowing that they won't always. But he doesn't dwell in my fingers. The Holy Spirit doesn't control my fingers. I do. And the Holy Spirit actually tries to get me to tell my fingers to give and to serve. I, in the end, decide whether I do or I don't. So he doesn't dwell in my fingers. He doesn't control. Some people, charismatics primarily, believe the Holy Spirit takes you over and you start convulsing and you frothing at the mouth and you bark like dogs. That is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in your spirit. And the Bible says, if you pray with the Spirit, you'll pray with your understanding. And whatever you do in the Spirit, you're in control. And you're just yielding to the Holy Spirit. So my, it was a trick question. Geographically, <laughs> geographically, well, you won't laugh at my joke, so i got to trick you some other way. But geographically, I am a temple that the Holy Spirit lives in. <clears throat> Yes, is still in my body. But I want you, of the three compartments, if I had three cups, which cup is he in? He's not in my soul. I'm in there. That's me. He's not in my flesh. That's my space suit that I live in here. He's in my spirit, which was empty and dead all my life until I was born again. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Next question. I didn't understand the first part. Say it again. You're exactly right. And um, there were three parts to the temple. Right? There was an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies. And the outer court, anybody could walk into. The outer court, people could come. And uh, the inner court, only the priest could go in. And only the high priest, once a year, could go into the holy of holies. And so in my life, my you see and you interact with and you trash the outside of me. The soul is like that holy place where the table of showbread was and the candlestick and the altar of incense. That's where where real worship occurs. But the presence of God is in the holy of holies, which is compared to the spirit of a man. Any other questions? <clears throat> I know it's a long day. Got some meat to chew on tonight. Amen. And I, I love the book of Colossians because it settles things so that somebody comes along and says you can lose your salvation or somebody comes along and says, well, you know, you're not doing this right. The next verses we're going to look at this is don't let anybody judge you because you don't keep the Sabbath or because you're tasting and touching and handling things you shouldn't be handling and all of this rubbish. No, 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 I'm complete in Christ. I'm not arrogant, but I'm saved. And I'm saved because I've chewed on the meat of the truth of these pages in Colossians. Not because I just feel like it. If you only go by how you feel, guess what you're going to decide? I'm going to hell. (laughs) But if you go by what God says, you can ride out the roughest of storms. Even when your flesh catches up with you and and hurts you, brings you down, just, just defeats you, I am indefeatable. Amen. Amen. All right. Father, we love you. For all the reasons, even beyond what we could uh, come up with, Lord, we we love you because you you didn't just, in a simple 
wave of the hand. You just said, oh, okay, you're forgiven. No, as we see in the Old Testament, there's a lot to making things right. And there always is. If ever we're going to make things right with somebody we've offended, Lord, you showed us through the high priests, through Levitical laws, through through the worship and the temple and the sacrifices we see, you are a holy God. And we're a mess. And we can't just walk up to you. We can't just act like nothing's wrong. Our sins and our iniquities have separated us from you. And there's no going back. There's no fixing it on our side. You had to do it. And as we look in Colossians, we're looking that you first took sinners like us and you you baptized us into Christ. We'll talk about that more next week. But you cut away what was damning us. And you you didn't kill it. (laughs) But you let it alone. You let it go on its own way. And it's going to operate by the law of sin and death. But I live by the law of Christ now. By the Spirit of God. I pray that we would believe that. And that when our flesh gets us in trouble, we'd realize, all right, I deserve. I'm reaping what I've sown in the flesh. But I'm still saved. And I still have no, there's no gap between what I, what I, where I am and where you are. I can get right instantly because I am married now to the new man. Lord, I didn't get to teach about the divorce from the flesh so that I could marry a new man. (laughs) But that's the greatest truth of all. I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship that will last forever and ever and ever. God, there's no divorce with you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so bless these thoughts, these truths. May we just, just for all this week, just let it just keep coming back, popping up in our hearts and going, wow. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.